What's up everybody? Denix Dividend Investor here. In this video I'm going to show you the scariest stock chart you've ever seen, something which should turn you into a dividend investor if you aren't already one. I'll also share my thoughts on the dividend irrelevance theory and we'll discuss some other valuable topics so I recommend you watch from start to end. And unless you're a big meanie then please hit the thumbs up button, subscribe if you haven't yet and click the bell notification. Now in my last video I talked about the lost decade, which was the period of time from 2000 to 2013 when the stock markets remained under their dot-com peak. That was a harsh period to be investing as a non-dividend investor, since dividends were basically your only returns, broadly speaking. Imagine investing for 13 years and still seeing your portfolio down. I mean these days people get testy if they're down for a few months, let alone for over a decade. But investors in solid dividend companies were making cash the entire time the markets were falling. And if you think a down market is bad, well it only gets far worse when you factor in inflation. There actually was a period of time of around 60 years where your portfolio would have been down when you account for inflation, something no one talks about. Again, dividends would have helped a ton, but most people unfortunately aren't focused on dividends. A key takeaway from this video is that there have been, and will most likely be, many years and even decades where your portfolio will be dropping due to markets and inflation, thus I argue that you need dividends. Okay, let's start with a stock chart that you have seen before, which is the last 100 years of the Dow. Now I normally prefer using the SP500, but since it only formalized in 1957 and I want to use stock market data older than that, I figured I'd just use the Dow. Anyways, this chart for the stock market is kind of what you'd expect, right? I mean it starts low and goes up. Stocks only go up, right? On the left side you can see the Dow was at 343 before the Great Depression in 1929, and on the right side we see that the Dow is around 33,000. Looking back over the years you can see that the Dow fell around the year 2000 in the dot-com crash, and then it started climbing until it fell around 2008 in the financial crisis. Then we had a huge bull market after 2008 until around 2022 when things started falling again. And to ensure that we're all on the same page about inflation, let's do a quick example to understand how it kills your buying power. So for example, in 1939, a pound of red delicious apples were about 5 cents. In 2022, a pound of red delicious apples were about $1.31. So prices for apples went up around 2,500% in the last 80 years, which means apples had an average inflation rate of around 4.5% per year. Captain Obvious says that the buying power of your dollar goes down as inflation goes up, which also means that a portfolio that is worth, let's say, 20 grand in 1900 would have way more buying power back then than a portfolio of 20 grand in 2022. Okay, with that understanding, now let's look at a Dow chart that's been adjusted for the inflation we've had over the last century. Still looks reasonable, right? I mean, it still trends up and to the right. But let's zoom in a bit on this inflation-adjusted Dow and cherry-pick some dates to make a point. Let's go from the Great Depression until around 1991. And this is the chart that I find scary. In 1929, before the Great Depression, the Dow was at 345, which is 64.25 when adjusted for inflation. And then around 60 years later in 1991, the Dow was only at an inflation-adjusted 61.39. Let that sink in for a bit. Over 60 years your portfolio would have effectively lost buying power. 60 years. Here's an investment calculator that shows you what I mean. If you had invested $10,000 in the Dow in 1928, then 60 years later in 1988 your $10,000 would only be worth $9,339 when adjusted for inflation, which is an annualized return of minus 0.1% per year. What happened to stocks only go up? A minus 0.1% annualized return for over 6 decades? What happened to the market averaging 10% return a year? 
Now, of course, I'm cherry picking dates to make the point that stocks don't always just go up, but it's important to understand both how inflation eats into your returns as well as how even long-term investors can get screwed without dividends. Now, here's what happens if you look at dividends over that time frame. This is another calculator for the Dow, which shows both inflation and dividends. So we can see that from 1929 to 1988, while adjusting for inflation, the Dow had a minus 0.38% annualized return like we expected. But if we had been reinvesting dividends, we would have seen a 4.4% annualized return above inflation. It's logical if you think about it. If the market stays flat over a start and end date, then your buying power if you sold your portfolio at the end date would be less than your buying power at the start date, assuming inflation keeps going up over time. But if your portfolio's dividend growth rate beats out the average growth rate of inflation, even if the market stays flat for 100 years, then your buying power keeps increasing. Heck, even if your dividend growth rate is lower than inflation, you will still be getting cash flow from your dividends, which is more than the people who are holding non-dividend stocks would be getting. For reference, from 1960 to 2021, the average inflation rate in the US was 3.8% per year. So if you had a higher portfolio dividend category than 3.8%, then your dividends buying power would have kept growing faster than inflation. My portfolio has about a 6.5% dividend category, which is fairly conservative. The younger you are, the higher I'd expect your portfolio's CAGR to be, assuming you're in the stage of your life where you're mostly focused on growing your net worth and are more open to risk as opposed to being more conservative and focused on preserving your net worth. TLDR, the worse the market does, the more you want dividends. Which also means that I bet you many dividend stocks will underperform in bull markets, especially the low beta ones. Again, that makes sense that you lose less in down markets, and you gain less in up markets. If you're young, you generally tend to prefer higher beta stocks because you want to gain more in up markets and you have time to deal with losing more in down markets, whereas as you get older you tend to care more about losing less in down markets. And as I've said in the past, the pain from loss is about twice as bad as the good feelings you get from things going up. Of course remember that dividends aren't guaranteed, though historically dividend aristocrats and kings have been growing their dividends. Anyways, now let's not cherry pick dates. Officialdata.org found that if you invested $100 in the S&P 500 at the beginning of 1900, you would have almost $10 million at the end of 2022, assuming you reinvested all the dividends, and thus your return would be almost 10% per year, which is the figure people normally quote. But if you adjusted for inflation, then you would end at 277 grand, which would have been a 6.7% annualized return. Still good, but nothing like 10 million. So dividends are key, and inflation impacts you more than you realize, and thus the 10% annualized return that people like me often quote doesn't include the downward impact that inflation has. Dividends are clearly integral to long-term returns. Hartford Funds found that from 1930 to 2021, dividends accounted for 40% of the total return of the SP 500. The worse the stock market does in a particular decade, the more dividends were responsible for total returns. So for example, in the 1940s, dividends were an astounding 67% of total return. Or to say that differently, from 1940 to 1950, capital appreciation of your stocks was 33% of your return and dividends were 67%. Are you sure dividends are irrelevant? In the 1950s, dividends were 30% of total return. In the 1960s, dividends were 44% of total return. In the 1970s, dividends were 73% of total return. 73%, incredible. In the 1980s, dividends were 28% of total return. In the booming 1990s, dividends were only 16% of total returns. And then in the crappy decade of 2000 to 2010, Hartford Funds didn't list dividend total return because the overall market return in that time frame was so bad, but S&P Global said that dividends were 68% of total returns in that decade. 
my experience investing through those timeframes were part of the reason why I came to appreciate dividends so much. Because as the market went to crap about me, my dividends kept shining brightly. From 2010 to 2020, dividends were 17% of total return. And when we look at broad timeframes, i.e. from 1930 to 2021, dividends were 40% of total return. In fact, Hartford Funds found that going back to 1960, 84% of the total return of the SP500 can be attributed to reinvested dividends. That's insane and thus it's hard for me to say that dividends are not material and relevant. The CFA Institute found that, quote, the contribution of dividends to total returns for stocks is formidable. For example, the total compound annual return for the SP500 index with dividends reinvested from the beginning of 1926 to the end of 2018 was 10%, as compared with 5.9% on the basis of price alone. Again, this speaks to how material and important and relevant dividends are. Here's a chart Hartford put together showing that if you'd invested $10,000 in the SP500 in 1960, not reinvested your dividends, your portfolio would have ended at 795 grand. But if you had reinvested your dividends, you would have ended at almost $5 million. Note they didn't count for inflation. So if times are bad, dividends become even more important, but in good times you can still see how they're important. Like right now a bunch of experts are saying we're probably in a recession, and some are saying we might go into the biggest depression of our lives. If that happens, then the stock market could once again stay below our recent peak for years or even decades. Will that happen? I have no idea, but I bet most if not all of my dividends will keep paying and growing even as markets crumble. SimpleStockInvesting.com found that from 1950 to 2010, reinvesting all dividends produced about 8 times the return as not reinvesting your dividends. That's huge, so reinvest your dividends if you can. So do dividend stocks outperform non-dividend stocks on average, both nationally and internationally? Well, RBC Capital came to the conclusion that dividend stocks outperform non-dividend stocks over the last 35 years in Canada. S&P Global also found that dividend stocks outperformed non-dividend stocks on average. They said, in addition to constituting a meaningful portion of total return, numerous academic studies have shown that dividend payers tend to outperform non-dividend payers across market cycles and offer higher risk-adjusted returns. Our comparison of the performance of the SP500 dividend payers versus non-payers reveals a similar story, aka dividend stocks outperform non-dividend stocks and dividends are a key part of your returns. Ned Davis Research and Hartford Funds analyzed the SP500 from 1973 to 2021. They found that companies that started paying dividends or that grew their dividend had the best returns in the market at a 10.68% annualized return. The next best were companies that just had a dividend with a 9.6% annualized return. Then were companies which had dividends but weren't changing them at 7.08% annualized returns. Next were companies that didn't pay dividends at 4.79% annualized returns, and the worst performers were companies that cut or eliminated their dividends at minus 0.46% return. So that helps paint the picture that robust dividend companies are the ones that have had the best overall returns. Ned Davis also said that if you'd invested $100 in 1973 based on the previously mentioned categories, then your $100 grew to about 14000 by 2021 for dividend growers and initiators, versus only $989 for non-dividend stocks. And in a study examining 60 years of historical returns, GreenRock Research found that dividend payers in the SP500 outperformed the broader SP500 index by 2.2% per year. Over those 60 years, a $10,000 investment in the SP500 would have grown to $4.2 million. The same investment in the dividend payers would have grown your initial investment to $13.5 million. Of course, remember that historical performance does not guarantee future results, and that there are some periods in history where non-dividend stocks on average outperformed. And any particular stock can always buck the trends or averages. 
Now is a good time to mention Miller and Modigliani's dividend irrelevance work, where they basically suggested that dividends and capital gains are equivalent when an investor considers returns on investments, and that the only thing that impacts the valuation of a company is earnings, so whether you invest or not should be based on the investment policy of the company and not on its dividends. The theory basically says that a company's value in stock price is driven by its ability to earn a profit and grow its business, thus its dividend policy is irrelevant at best. Thus, total investment return is what is important, no matter if it comes from share price appreciation, dividends, or both. There's some logic in that. Furthermore, they say you can always manufacture your own dividends by simply selling some of your shares. Like, Amazon currently doesn't pay dividends, but I could always just sell some of my Amazon shares every quarter to basically replicate getting a dividend. And it's arguably better to manufacture your own dividends, because then you could control when you get the dividend based on a stock price you want, rather than when you are forced to take one. And you can tailor the payout schedule based on need and pricing. That way you can also optimize your taxes. Thus, dividends are irrelevant from those perspectives. So the reason why dividend stocks tend to outperform non-dividend stocks, on average, is because dividend stocks are also often large cap value stocks that have good business metrics, which is why they outperform. But it's not their dividend, per se, which caused their outperformance. I think almost everyone agrees that investing solely based on if a company pays a dividend or not would not be prudent. You need to dig much deeper. I personally like to invest in great companies, so I also invest in non-dividend stocks like Google. However, my preference is dividends given a slew of factors, including that I value automation and simplicity, and want to ensure my portfolio cash flows for my family even if I'm not alive, especially given my health history. So I value the true passive income from dividends. Anyways, there are a variety of people who have critiqued some aspects of Miller and Modigliani's work. In 2004, Baker and Wargler concluded that shareholders are not indifferent to dividend policy. Instead, they value dividends most highly during declining markets. And I definitely find that to be true. In 2006, D'Angelo and D'Angelo argued that Miller's and Modigliani's dividend irrelevancy theory was incomplete, and that dividends are not irrelevant. And they found conditions where dividends matter. Overall, shareholders in dividend-paying stocks do better than investors in non-dividend-paying stocks, particularly in market downturns. In 2010, Buller and Goldstein supported and augmented the findings of D'Angelo and D'Angelo, where they concluded dividends do matter to shareholders, but more in declining markets than advancing ones. Dividend-paying stocks outperform non-dividend-paying stocks by 1-2% more per month in declining markets than in advancing markets. These results are economically and statistically significant. And then I just saw an article published recently by world-renowned Wharton School finance professor Jeremy Siegel, where he said that dividend stocks are the best way for investors to cope with inflation, something that is near and dear to our hearts right now. And thus, that's why he said that investors will be seeking dividend stocks in 2022. Does it matter that a professor at one of the best business schools in the world is a fan of dividend stocks? For some, yes. For others, no. I also found an article today in Fortune that Siegel argued that some dividend-producing stocks may begin to look attractive to investors as valuations fall and investment options remain limited. He said history shows that dividends move with inflation, so you're still getting a real return. Goldman Sachs analysts recently argued that dividend stocks may present value moving forward. They said, dividend stocks look particularly attractively valued in our view. Dividend stocks typically outperform in environments of elevated inflation. In addition, dividends currently benefit from the buffer of strong corporate balance sheets. Okay, so a logical question is why do dividend stocks tend to outperform non-dividend stocks? Well, I found this paper from a Morgan Stanley analyst who said, In my 35 years as an investment professional, I've read most of the Senwell Works studies and academic research papers on investing. There is a large body of academic research that shows a long-term historical trend of dividend stocks beating non-dividend stocks. 
He concluded that there are three main reasons why dividend stocks tend to outperform non-dividend stocks. Number one, dividend stocks often have higher quality earnings, i.e. you can't fake cash. Basically, in the short term, it can be easy for management to make profits on the income statement appear higher or lower than they are. And that is where dividends come to the rescue. One thing you cannot fake is cash. When a company mails you a dividend check, that money is yours. Number two, dividend yields can support a stock during a market crash. During major stock market meltdowns, strong dividend stocks tend to hold up much better than non-dividend paying stocks due to yield support. Imagine that you have two stocks. The first is one of the most financially sound companies in the world, but doesn't pay a dividend. The second is the same size as the first and is also financially sound, but pays a dividend that is about a 2.75% yield. Imagine the stock market collapses and both your stocks are down 50%. Your second stock is still paying you dividends. That means the dividend yield is now 5.5%. If you had to sell shares, which would you give up first? The stock that pays no dividend or the second one that does? Most people keep the stock that pays them dividends, and the lower the stock goes, and thus the higher the yield goes, the more investors tend to flock to it, again assuming it's a strong company. And the more that investors flock to it, the more that it stabilizes price and yield. The third main reason that dividend stocks tend to outperform is that there is pressure on management to be more selective about uses of their cash. When a firm has to send 30% to 50% of earnings back to the owners as dividends, it imposes discipline. It is one of the psychological restraints that are responsible for the superior returns generated by dividend stocks over long periods of time. Charlie Munger once commented that, following his and Warren Buffett's death, the quickest way to solve Berkshire Hathaway's capital reinvestment risk would be to put out most of the earnings as a dividend. That way their management can't screw up what it doesn't control, i.e. when companies give cash to shareholders, it puts the control on the shareholders' hands to decide what to do with it. Anyways, another interesting counter-response to the dividend irrelevance theory is Gordon Lintner's bird in hand theory. The bird in hand theory is based on the classic saying that a bird in hand is worth two in the bush. Basically, it's saying that dividends are bird in hand because the cash is in your pocket, whereas the potential for stock prices going up, which may or may not happen, is the two in the bush. Various other academics have concluded that Modigliani's and Miller's conclusions concerning dividend irrelevance may be wrong in the real world due to faulty assumptions they made when they crafted their theory. For example, their theory assumes personal and corporate income taxes don't exist, but of course they do exist. You can find videos that tell you about how bad the taxation of dividends are, because first companies are getting taxed and then you are when you get the dividend, and to top it off you can't really even control when you get your dividends. But I live in a world where I personally can make over $100,000 a year of qualified dividends in a taxable account as a married couple and pay no federal income taxes on it. So I find the taxation on qualified dividends awesome. But unfortunately, taxation is bad on people who have to have a job, which I luckily don't have to have. Speaking of taxation, another theory to be aware of is called tax preference theory, aka tax aversion theory. It's basically saying that investors will optimize their investing, at least to some degree, to minimize their taxation. Of course, it's also good to be aware that historically dividends were taxed at higher rates when Miller and Modigliani constructed their theory. But the Bush Tax Relief Act in 2003 cut the taxes on dividends, and that's not even including the fact that you can always hold dividends in retirement accounts to avoid taxes. Bottom line, while it can be useful to hear varying perspectives from academics and statisticians and financial analysts and random YouTubers, the most important thing to me are my actual results over the decades, and for me dividends matter. I read that only 1% of people retire in their 40s or sooner, and I attribute me being part of that 1% because of my dividends. Could I have done it other ways? Maybe. There are an infinite number of ways to achieve your goals. I want to be clear that I'm not saying if you invest in dividends you will retire early. I am saying that in my experience, Blue chip dividend companies are a great way to supplement your income and should help you retire sooner, with less stress, and are the easiest way I found to create generational wealth. 
I have now been retired for almost two years due to using dividends to pay all my expenses, such as my mortgage and my gas bills and my groceries and my healthcare and such, and it's the most passive hands-off income I've found over my life as someone who's invested in a ton of different asset classes. I mean, I've gotten income from royalties, real estate, bonds, crypto, and more. But I prefer dividends to all those. So I've lived and breathed dividends for years, and I know that the dividend journey works. I'm living it, I love it, and my future generations will hopefully also get to benefit from my dividend farm. Everything has its trade-offs and there's no silver bullet, thus I recommend you continue learning about the pros and cons of various ways of investing to really get a broader perspective and understanding of things. And even though I prefer individual dividend stocks, I recommend that most people simply invest in inexpensive broad market ETFs like VTI or VU, or maybe SCHD for you dividend ETF people. Feel free to watch my other videos to understand reasons why I prefer single stocks, even though I recommend ETFs to most people. Again, everything you do has trade-offs, and you need to determine what makes sense to you. Like I'm someone who is fine to pay a premium on a streaming service to not have ads. But my dad is so frugal that he would never pay for a streaming service, let alone for good internet access. To each their own. For someone who prefers buying and selling stocks, control their cash flow and taxation and such, great, go for it. I understand what you like and apply to you regardless for your investing. But if you love dividends, then I please ask you to hit the thumbs up button, subscribe if you haven't yet, and click that bell notification. Also, please share this video with someone you know. I'd really appreciate it. Now I'd like to shout out my newest Patreons. So first, a big thank you goes out to Anthony F., who signed up as a Patreon King for an entire year, which gives him a 10% discount. And sorry, I'm now sold out on the Patreon King tier, so no one else can sign up for it until the existing King is done. Kings get everything the lower tier Patreons get, plus they can have a monthly private 30-minute voice chat with me to talk about whatever they want, from their investment ideas to having me review their portfolio to whatever. And remember, I'm not a professional, I'm just some guy who loves dividends, so don't take what I say as financial advice. Moving on, now I'd like to thank folks who've signed up since my last video as Patreon Aristocrats. So thank you Jose Balderas for signing up. Thank you John Cherandolo for signing up. And thank you I am Casper for signing up. There are limited Patreon Aristocrat spots remaining because of the hands-on support I provide, so sign up now if you're interested. Aristocrats gain access to my Dividend Portfolio Tracker Spreadsheet, which I use in lots of my videos, and they get special access to various private channels on my Discord, including one which lets you watch my videos before I release them publicly on YouTube, as well as lets you vote on which thumbnails I should use, and you get more direct access to me. Finally, don't forget to join my free Dividend Discord chat server, which has thousands of investors on it from around the world. Thanks for watching, stay positive, and I'll talk to you again real soon. I am not a financial advisor, and these videos are for entertainment, inspiration, and educational purposes only. Investing of any kind involves risk. I am only sharing my opinion with no guarantee of gains or losses on investments.